Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the BT Powerhouse Podcast. My name is Thomas Bendit. I'll be your host as always. I am the manager of BT Powerhouse, and uh, we're in the off season, uh, <laughs> officially in here um, with last night's Villanova, North Carolina thriller. Uh, we're we're in the, the dark part of the year, I guess. Uh, you know, you still got NBA stuff. Um, there's NHL stuff going on. And, and certainly, you know, baseball's starting up for, for the baseball fans. But um, the college sports, at least, at least the major ones, are wrapped up now. And, and college basketball is, is finished up. So we go into uh, kind of the no man's land here. Uh, not, not too much going on. But... Um, in terms of game action or anything around the corner, but um, certainly this is a kind of a great hectic time um, for the rosters and for the coaches. And that's because it's a time filled with NBA draft decisions, with transfer decisions, with uh, assistants moving, with head coaches moving. Um, There's just a lot of chaos (laughs) in terms of uh, the teams themselves and their makeups. Um, so the big things that, that we wanted to hit on today, uh, were the, the NBA draft, um, and certainly hit on some of those decisions, what we think, um, is going to happen, how we think it'll impact, uh, each team. Um, and along with that, uh, all these transfers, I mean, you, you turn your head for, for two minutes and, and another guy has transferred, um, (laughs) from, from a big 10 team. So it's, it's been pretty crazy, but, um, but nonetheless, you know, we did, we did want to get into that, uh, share some of our thoughts, um, and to help break it down, um, we have our, uh, our lovely, uh, co-host here, Josh Stern. Josh, how's it going? I'm good, Thomas. Happy Tuesday, man. We, uh, we made it through another year. Yeah. Yeah. I was just saying, you know, we're officially in the off season now, the, the doldrums of the year, I guess, for, for college sports fans, <laughs> but, uh, but hey, I mean, it, it was a fun year. I, I think you can't complain about the way it ended. Certainly, with with that thriller on Monday night. But um, no, nope. moving on, moving on. <laughs> but uh, but Josh, why don't why don't we get into? I mean, we're I know everyone's kind of jumping into next season already, but but there really is a lot of significant news going on right now, at least in terms of the teams themselves, and that has to do with the NBA draft stuff, with the transfer decisions. Um, so I wanted to jump into that uh, for a couple minutes and specifically hit on some of this this NBA draft talk. Um, first, as we kind of turn around, what are your general impressions of uh, where the conference sits for the NBA draft? Um, just what are you thinking right now, I guess, regarding that? Well, so the biggest problem I feel like with the NBA draft this year is it's so, I, I guess, the deadline to withdraw is late. And so the problem is a lot of these teams that have guys like Caleb Swanigan, uh, that have guys like Melo Trimble, where, you know, odds are they come back. But, you know, they could have an amazing workout, and a couple of GMs could say, by the way, uh, we, we think that you could get slotted uh, late in the first round. Um, you know, you should keep your name in the, in the draft. That can really hurt teams, especially mm-hmm. when you don't have time to recruit a guy really late um, you know, as as a coach, what are you supposed to do? You're hoping that you have a guy for a couple of years or you know whether he's a definite one and done or hopefully three or four-year guy. 
Um, so I think the draft attrition is definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, and we'll get into this later, but the transfer thing is the same kind of thing with the draft. Because if a player decides to transfer, you know, then a guy that maybe um, wouldn't have gotten as many minutes decides, oh, maybe I'll come back and play more minutes, or vice versa, where the team isn't going to be as good and they won't get enough exposure, they might leave to the draft. So I'm curious kind of how the transfer and the draft, in your opinion, kind of affect one another. Yeah, certainly. You know, I, I was thinking the exact same thing. And, and it, it's the transferring, I, I think we've seen the trend. Um, I know ESPN's Jeff Goodman, he does kind of a comprehensive uh, transfer list. You know, every guy who transfers from a D1 program uh, over the summer, he updates it. So if, if anyone's interested in that, definitely worth checking out. Um, we have our own Big Ten version on our site. But um, the numbers continue to trend up year by year. You know, more people are transferring. Um, and you, you hear coaches, you know, talk about, uh, we'll get a guy on the second time around. Like that, that is how dramatic it has gotten, um, to where they're already assuming, oh yeah, this guy's going to transfer. He's only going to go to that school for a year. Um, and, uh, and, and the reason I, I bring that up is because, uh, a perfect example of this, uh, Kendall Stevens, uh, for Purdue, he announced he was transferring, but basically the release and the way they said it was. Uh, kind of how the NBA draft decisions are now. You know, if you don't hire the agent where, oh, I'm going to transfer uh, unless I don't like the options, then I'm just going to come right, back. Right, right. <laughs> which, which to me, you know, if, you know, if Painter's cool with that, you know, more power to him. Um, but it, I, I just, man, as a head coach, it would be so difficult to try to manage a roster when you have guys, yeah. you know, one foot out the door, one foot uh, in the door. But um but yeah, my, so, my, only, my only counterpoint to that would be the biggest problem now is, I mean, you, you look at it with Michigan, where Michigan was one player over the scholarship limit. And hypothetically, mm-hmm. if they wanted Spike to come back, it would have been two. So as a devil's advocate, as a player, you go, well, if the coach is kind of going to treat me like I'm an expendable piece, then mm-hmm. I should be able to have as much freedom <laughs> as I want to be able to test the waters and potentially transfer, and like you said, like the draft, kind of see who's out there, see if maybe you can go to a really good mid-major for someone like Kendall Stevens, start at the four, and be an 18-point-per-game score, whereas, it, whereas Purdue, you wouldn't necessarily be in that kind of role. So I totally understand players wanting to kind of test the transfer waters the same way players want to test the draft waters. Mm, yeah, I, I agree, and, you know, it's – it's kind of one of these things, you know, I, I don't want to get too off track in the discussion because ultimately the more you talk about transferring, the more you talk about it sort of becoming an open market, you kind of get into the oh, yeah. whole, uh, you know, should they be paid, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it, there's just, there's a, you know, that's a whole tangled web of, <laughs> you know, issues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, so I, I don't want to get into that too much, but it definitely, you know, I think it's something that ultimately the NCAA is going to have to address in some way. I don't know if it is, you know, uh, you know, paying guys and basically saying, you know, we're going to offer, you know, more money or stipends or whatever, but the transfer restrictions are going to be much, much tighter, things like that. I I don't know. I I assume there's some balance and um, something's coming down the line because, you know, I, I hate to keep belaboring the point, but, there's so much transferring going on now that it's just impossible to keep up with uh, these teams. I mean, you have guys playing for three, um, maybe four teams. I know um, 
there's just guys all over. It's it's just been crazy. I guess mm. is the bottom yeah. line. But um, but with that, why don't you know? Why don't we get into to some of these specific decisions before we hit on the transferring too much more? Um, let's jump into some of these NBA. Um, just kind of want to play name association here. I'll throw out a name. Tell me, do you think he should go pro? Do you think he should come back? Um, and and then I guess if you have any other thoughts on on any sure. of the guys. Um, sure. So we'll start with Indiana. Uh, the Hoosiers have several decisions coming up here. Um, there are there are four guys who pop up in my head. I, I think one is an obvious answer, but um, so I'll throw him up first. Uh, James Blackman. I think he has to come back. I, I, I can't imagine him going. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. You know, he got a lot of chatter last year. You know, he announced he was coming back. Um, and a lot of people were projecting him as a potential first round pick this year. But, uh, you know, with the injury issues, with kind of the slow start to the season, um, I think it's pretty obvious he's got to come back. Uh, and, you know, he should have a pretty big role next year uh, with Farrell out the door. Um, and then I'll, I'll jump on to the next one. Uh, OG Anobi. I mean, look, I, the only thing I would do if, if I was OG is potentially enter my name in the draft and see. I mean, he is he's like a real 6'8". He's a great defender. He's long. He's athletic. Like, with the current – the way that the current uh, draft model is going, I'd enter, see. I wouldn't leave, but at least I would see how I stack up against some of these guys and then come back and be prepared for an enormous sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree, and and I'll I'll just throw this sort of quick rant out here to begin with. Um, I I always say it every single year, but it's still relevant every year. Um, for those of you who don't follow the NBA draft that closely, the first round has guaranteed contracts. The second round does not, and the reason yeah. that is important is that is a massive massive divide. Um, you know, it's not like the NFL draft where yeah you can make more money. Um, a team's probably going to invest more in you if you're a higher round pick. No, if you're a first round pick, you're pretty much guaranteed to be in the league for, you know, four or five years. Two generally. or three. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I'll, I'll just throw out there. If you're a first round pick, even if you're horrible, you're going to get signed by at least another team. Um, yeah. So like, so you're pretty much, you're going to get four or five years. If you're a second round guy, I don't, there's, there's times you don't even last a year and you're already down to the D league and you're already off to Europe. So I, so it's important to say that. So if you're a kind of a first, second round uh, teetering type of guy, it's huge. If you, you know, it's, it's a huge jump to get into the first round. Um, yeah, and the reason exactly. I say that is it, yeah, in my opinion, unless you can go, if you believe coming back, you can essentially get up to the number one pick or something like that. If you're in the first round, just go. There's to me, there's no reason to risk it. Um, if you're a guaranteed first round pick. So, so I we, agree. We can you talk know. about this later, but uh, I'm curious to hear kind of your whole Karis LeVert first round, second round, should he have gone after junior year, that whole discussion. We can get into that, but I'm curious to hear what you think. Um, I, you know, personally, last year, I, I remember saying I think he should go. Um, I wasn't sure if he was going to just because, uh, you know, if he came back and had a big year, which he did until he, you know, kind of got hurt, obviously. Right. Um, he would, he, I think he would have moved up, but personally, I thought he should have gone. I, I remember saying it at the time, you know, as a Michigan fan, I was certainly hoping he would come back, but just as yes. a general observer, um, I think he should have just because, you know, I think as we saw, uh, there's risk involved 
and there's not a lot of upside. Um, you, in, unless you have a massive year, um, you really can't move up that much. But and, um, and I think right now teetering somewhere between 25 and 40, which is a huge mm-hmm. difference between end of the first round playing on a contender and early second round, no guaranteed money on a team that is in the lottery. There's a huge difference. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing that I why I always stress, you know, there's a lot of fans who, oh, you know, this guy playing for my favorite team, you know, he needs to come back because he needs to improve his game and uh, you know, personally needs to help out our team, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's yeah. a ma- it's a massive risk. And you're talking about potentially, you know, five, six years of NBA money or, you know, half a year and then Europe and then who knows after that. Yep. Um, yep. So it's it's just a lot of risk. But um, as far as Anobi goes, I agree. You know, enter your name, see what they tell you. If they tell you you're a high first round pick, head out. Um, I think he's one of those 50-50 where, um, you know, he has so much raw potential that I think he could move up to. Uh, personally, I, for me, as I said, and I don't want to repeat it over and over again, if he's a guaranteed first round pick, go. Otherwise, um, I could see it either way. But um, mm-hmm. j- I think on ultimately from the- he comes back. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I'm interested to see too. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, it, I should throw that in as well. I do think he will ultimately come back as well because I don't think he's going to be a guaranteed first round guy. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, we'll we'll see. Um, but moving on to the the next Indiana guy here, Thomas Bryant. See, this, this one's really tough for me because, you know, he's 6'10", 240, 245. He's got really good hands. But I don't really feel like I saw enough of his moves. Uh, and the other problem I would say, too, is at times he seemed really immature. He'd make a great play and he'd get excited, but then 30 seconds later he'd commit a dumb foul. Um, I think, like Ananobi, based on raw potential, I think he has the ability to be – eight, 10, 12 year NBA guy, but I don't think NBA scouts have seen enough from him that it'd be worth taking a first round pick. And I think he comes back for one more year in Bloomington. Yeah, I agree. Um, draft, draft express, just to clarify this, Bryant, they have him as uh, 23 on their list of prospects, which yeah. would be a first round pick, but certainly not a extremely high first round pick. And I agree, you know, I, I think maturing his game a little bit, you know, getting a little bit uh, more uh, level-headed, I guess, you know, play-to-play, more consistent, I think would add a lot to his game. And I do think he's going to come back. Um, and, again, he this is one of those things where, you know, he's a big enough prospect, definitely enter your name, but um, I do think he'll come sure. back. And I think coming back could really uh, boost up his stock. But uh, moving well, I on to the – I want to oh, see Indiana throw him the ball more in the post. I feel like there <laughs> were too many times where he'd make a couple great plays off of rebounds and putbacks but I never really feel like I got to see the full potential of his game. I think if he, if he wants to be an NBA player and if Indiana wants to make a run next year, he's going to have to become a bigger focal point of their offense. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. If, if he can do, you know, certainly show a, a more diverse game on the offensive side. Um, yeah. I'm trying to look at what he, yeah, he had 20% of Indiana shots on offense. So certainly not a, uh, a ball hog by any means. And, um, and what was his I think shooting percentage, help. by the way? Um, let's see. Uh, his effective field goal was 69.3 true shooting 70.4. Um, and <laughs> good, but certainly a, a notch behind, uh, some of the other guys. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, if he can show he can really take over a game on offense, I, I think that would be, mm-hmm. he, he's one of those guys where, you know, like, like Anobi, especially cause he's a freshman, he really can move up a lot. Oh yeah. Uh, if, he, oh, yeah. if he does polish his game a little bit more, but uh, jumping out of the final Indiana guy here, at least uh, in my perspective, uh, Troy Williams, uh, what are your thoughts on him? I say stay. Um, I like him. My biggest problem with uh, Troy is um, I just feel like there's too many times where he just takes and forces bad shots. I feel like he's a decent jump shooter. I think if he can elevate his jump shots uh, to the next level, then uh, then maybe he can actually be a decent NBA player. But for some reason, I, I feel like there were too many uh, there were too many missed jump shots and 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 play and holes in his game out of the last year. So I think he stays one more year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do think he stays. And and for perspective again, uh, he's currently 85 on Draft Express's uh, yeah. top 100 list, which isn't even in the, the draft. So, I, um, I again, I don't know if he's going to get drafted. So, if you're not going to get drafted, there isn't a ton of reason to uh, declare early, especially because it's just one year. Um, even if he went to Europe or the D League, it's not like he's going to make that much money in a year uh, on one of their salaries. So, I, uh, I do think he'll come back. I, I think it would be a wise move. Um, work on his game and, and, you know, maybe he can have a, a better and, and bigger year, but uh, moving away from the Hoosiers here uh, to the Iowa Hawkeyes, which I, I think this is the most important decision for any team in the big 10. And that is uh Peter Jack's decision. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Oh man. I mean, based on size and shooting ability, he's an NBA player, you know, um, I would love to see Jock maybe work on his uh, ball handling a little bit, taking it to the basket. But, I mean, I, I think Iowa, to be perfectly honest, and sorry, Hawkeye fans who are listening, I think Iowa could potentially be a dumpster fire next year. They could be somewhere at like 7-11 and 11 or 8-10 in the Big Ten. Wow. Um, <laughs> I would go. I'm Peter Jock. I would go. I don't think the Iowa team is going to be very good. He's the lone remaining starter who's returning from last year. I'm I'm gone. I don't think you can improve much more. I don't think their team is going to be particularly great. I'm if I'm talk, I'm out. Yeah, I mean, um, personally, I think he will return. Um, just because I I think he'll see a potential opportunity to get a ton of possessions, a, a ton of shots. But um, yeah, certainly Iowa's roster looks a lot weaker next year. Um, and you know, from everything I've seen, he he's certainly not a, a a high draft pick guarantee. I, I think he does have a career in the NBA, um, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I think he'll end up coming back and uh, much to the joy of, of Hawkeye fans. <laughs> but um, jumping into the, the other team here with oh, several NBA uh, draft decisions here, the Maryland uh, Terrapins. Um, we'll start with Robert Carter. Uh, interesting mm-hmm. forward, interesting decision. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? Surprised I haven't been hearing more of Carter's name in terms of draft stock. I, I really haven't figured it out. I feel like he has a really great jump shot. He's super agile and mobile at six nine. He can guard fours. He could guard. I mean, he's a he's a big. He'd be a big three, but he can guard threes if need be. Um, so you know, he's the kind of guy that you can get the ball to and he can take over games and score eight or ten points. 
really quickly. Um, if I'm him, I'm going to go. I think most likely he'll return, but I mean, I, I really like Carter a lot. Of, like I said, a lot of people aren't as high on him as I am, but I'm really interested to see what he does. Yeah. Um, I think I'm one of those people that aren't quite as high on him, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> hey, I do. Gotta, gotta uh, have some kind of discussion. Yeah, gotta have gotta have somebody on the contrarian side here. Um, exactly. Draft Express has Carter at 58, um, which would be barely in the second round. Um, I I just the thing with Carter is he strikes me. You know, first off, uh, let, just to preface this, you know, I I think having a diverse game is a very very good thing uh, for the college oh, yeah. level, and and if you are an elite elite prospect. But I think if you're a fringe NBA draft guy, I think having a quote-unquote diverse game isn't necessarily a good thing. And the reason I say that is not because, well, oh, he needs to rebound. You know, he needs to be a bad rebounder or something like that. But, I mean, you need to have one big skill that can get an NBA team to say, okay, we need this guy on the bench. You know, maybe it's a lockdown defender. Maybe it's a guy who's a great rebounder. Maybe it's a guy who's a great shooter. You know, something – to get you on that bench, to get them to say, uh, you know, he can come in for five minutes a game and give us a boost in this area. Um, And I think Carter falls into that category where he's, he's really good at a lot of things, but he's not elite and not really great at a thing, Um, which again, makes him a really good college player. But I I think it does hurt him a little bit just because um, it, you know, he's a notch, he's going to be a notch below a lot of NBA guys, which isn't a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Again, making the NBA is really tough, but um, I, I really think it, it's going to challenge his game. And I think he's got to develop an area where he can be really, really good. Right. Um, just from a, a broad. So, so my question is what area do you think that would, would make the most sense that NBA scouts would say, wow, he's really, really good. We see he went back to school and focused on this. What do you think it would be? I, for me, for Carter, I think it would be rebounding. I, I think he's been a really solid rebounder, but I, I think that's an area where, you know, if he uh, dedicates himself to really working on his game this summer, I think he could step up into that next category and as a rebounder, um, really into that elite level at, as a college player. And I think that could uh, boost him up in the draft and, and really make him a guy that coaches feel confident in um, to make an NBA roster. But, uh, but yeah, that's my that's my rant on Carter. Um, bottom line, I think he does come back, and I think that will be huge for Maryland, uh, considering sure. their their losses. But uh, jumping on to the next one, uh, Diamond Stone, he did declare, but he hasn't hired an agent officially, uh, as far as I know. Um, so he technically could come back. Uh, what are your thoughts on Stone? Um. I feel like it's the same kind of thing with Thomas Bryant. I mean, you know, there's times where Stone looked really – I mean, Stone, I think, looked better than Bryant overall. Um, but the problem was he essentially shared the floor with four other essentially NBA players, whether Carter will make the NBA or not, whatever. Um, but I, I don't know whether – same kind of thing, whether he got enough touches to really showcase – um, I think he's going to, I, for some reason, think he's going to have a great workout and NBA teams are going to probably pick him between the 10 and 15 range just because of his size. And he's a great free throw shooter and a, and a really good rebounder. So I think he probably will go. I would, if I'm his agent, I would advise him or not his family, I would tell him to come back, but I think Diamond Stone goes. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think he will go. I think he should go. Um, I think he's just one of those major, major prospects who's going to get drafted well. I think he's going to fit well on the team. He gets. Dra- I think he's going to be a good NBA player, I guess is my main point here. Um, so I, I think he will go. Um, I think he should. And I, I think uh, Terp fans can, can root for him in the NBA. But um, jumping into the, the final guy here uh, for Maryland, uh, Melo Trimble. Uh, everyone kind of thought this was going to be his last year at the beginning of the year, kind of had a down year. Um, what do you think Trimble's going to do? Oh, it's, it's so hard to know. Um, I mean, <laughs> I almost feel like, I feel like with Trimble, how much better can he play? It's kind of, I mean, when you, when you look at what NBA scouts are trying to evaluate and what they're looking for, the question is, if you go back to school, what are you going to improve on that, that we're going to say, wow, we would take you 20 spots higher than we thought we would? I thought Tremble had a great year. He had more assists than last year, 15 points, five assists, four rebounds per game, uh, over a steal. Um, he's really He's got a great size at 6'3", as a point guard. I think he'd be a really nice backup point guard uh, in the NBA, at least to start, and then maybe work his way up. Um, but I think Tremble goes. I don't I just don't know what else he can come back to Maryland and showcase. Mm-hmm. I, I am in complete agreement. I know a lot of people are saying they think he's going to come back because he kind of had a, I shouldn't say a down year. He had a good year, but definitely towards the second half, he, he kind of had a rough stretch. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know what he's going to develop. You know, his he's shown he can shoot. He's shown he can drive. Um, his defense is solid. I, I don't know what, really else he can show um so i i do think he'll declare i think he'll get drafted i'm not sure where but um i think uh he'll be off to the nba i guess uh i guess next year um but moving on from the the terps uh over to east lansing um the spartans had a a rough uh <laughs> um ncaa tournament to say the least but um Heads turning to next year. Uh, they have one big decision coming up, and that's Deontay Davis, who a lot of people think could end up going in the lottery if if the process goes right. Um, what do you think Davis sh- should do, and and what do you think he will do? Uh, it's tough. Um, I mean, Davis was definitely in the shadows this season of guys like Denzel Valentine, Brent Forbes, even Matt Costello, guys that probably don't have nearly as much NBA upside, but just were better college players this season. Um, I think Davis, oh, it's just so hard because, (laughs) I mean, the the problem is Michigan State arguably has its best recruiting class ever. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, you, if you're Tom Izzo, you sit down with Deontay Davis and, and you pretty much say, we have a shot. I mean, look, it was an extremely disappointing year. They lost in the in the first round to Middle Tennessee State. So as a freshman, do you want your last college basketball game to be that, or do you want to say, let's make a run for it, let's go in the Big Ten, let's go to another Final Four? I think he should come back, but I think he goes. So that, that's my hunch. I uh, I actually have the exact opposite opinion. Huh. I, Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I I I first off, I think he should go because um, you know. Like I said, Draft Express, they have him at 13 um, on their on their prospect board. Uh, from everything you hear, he's a very secure first-round pick. 
The big question yeah. is just, will he go in the lottery or not? Um, so I, again, just because of my perspective where if you can be a lottery pick, go. Um, that So I think he should, but I think he will come back. And part of it is the reasons you said, you know, I don't think he wants to end his career in that middle Tennessee game. Um, I think there will be some pressure just given the fact that, the, you know, the roster is going to be loaded next year. Um, you know, I yeah. did my way too early Big Ten power rankings. I had MSU one, um, and Davis was certainly a that part of that. Be, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think they have a very, very legitimate chance. I, I think they're, like, all these way too early rankings are coming out, and people have them at, like, 15 or something, which is just mind-boggling to me. Um, I, I think they very easily could win it all next year if Davis comes back. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think he will come back. But, uh, as I said, just given my general NBA draft perspective, I, I think he should go. But um, but I think the Spartan fans will be happy uh, with his decision. But uh, jumping into Purdue here, um, Purdue actually had two uh, guys declare. Uh, I'm just going to lump these together. Um, and those were Vince Edwards and Caleb Swanigan. Um, what are your thoughts on those two? Um, I, I, it's really hard to tell with, uh, with Edwards. I mean, he's a nice, nice size wing. Um, you mentioned earlier that Edwards was Edwards, the one who was, who said he was trying to transfer. Is that right? Uh, no, that was Stevens. Oh, Stevens. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, no problem. Um, but I mean, I, I feel like he's kind of just testing the waters. I think he comes back. He, he, he didn't scream NBA player to me. Um, Swanigan, I think, is a much tougher decision. I think he comes back. Um, I think him and, and Isaac Hoff, you know, instead of having the three-headed monster in the front court, just the two of them. Um, but I think I, I think Swanigan needs one more year, continues to work on his jump shot, continues to work on his post game, especially now with Hammond out of the way uh, in West Lafayette. Um, and then I think he goes after next year. Yeah, I – I have the same opinion with both. Uh, I agree. I think Swanigan's a much bigger prospect. I think he has far more potential, but um, I, I think they're both just kind of testing to see where they are, what they need to work on next year. Um, I think both will come back. I, I think it's pretty easy decision for both, to be honest. Um, and I, I think that'll be a big boost to Purdue. And I, I think the Boilermakers are going to be a pretty good team with, with those two uh, leading the roster. But uh, getting into the, the final decision, at least, uh, if I'm leaving anything out, let me know. But um, the final NBA decision that uh, I think is going to be big for the Big Ten this year, uh, Nigel Hayes uh, for the Badgers. Uh, what do you think Hayes is going to do? If you would have asked me maybe like eight <laughs> or nine weeks ago, maybe even I would have probably said go. I would have said the season's so disappointing. There's really no reason for him to come back. <laughs> Then if you would have asked me three weeks ago, I would have said he's gone, no doubt. He's been playing great. But Nigel Hayes really did not have a particularly good offensive NCAA tournament. I He he shot something like 20-something percent. It might have even been lower. Um, it was bad. It was really, really bad. Um, Hayes is an extreme talent. But, you know, the NCAA tournament is the biggest stage and supposed to be the best players that you're playing against, and Hayes was pretty awful. Um, <laughs> I think that I think that coupled with every important Wisconsin player returning, sophomore year Ethan Happ is going to be a nightmare. 
for uh, for players. Uh, if Bronson Koenig stops shooting 18 times a game, he could be really good. Um, I just really like the makeup of Wisconsin's team. A full year under Greg Gard, they could be top 10 good. I love I love that team. Um, I think Hayes stays. Yeah, um, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, it uh, it was an absolutely insane season for Wisconsin for for so many reasons. Um, but Hayes is kind of, uh, I guess, drop off towards the end of the year, um, despite the team doing really really well. Uh, it was kind of odd. Um, I think I, I think drop off is being really generous, Thomas. It was it yeah, was yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, he. I mean, he had some really, really rough games at the end of the year. You know, you noted the the NCAA tournament. Certainly, some rough outings. But hey, the the team kept winning, so I'm I'm certain yeah. he's not he's not too disappointed in that. No, but no, um, not at all. yeah, I I think he's going to come back. I I don't think he's a surefire first round pick. I think he sees nope. the potential to have a final another uh you know his third final four uh <laughs> on the table uh if things right. go well. So I, I, I do think he'll come back, and I think uh, I had Wisconsin second in my Big Ten power rankings, and yes. um, I, I think they are going to be a very, very dangerous team if Hayes comes back. So uh, Badger fans, I think, will be happy in the <laughs> in the coming weeks here. But uh, any any final thoughts here on the NBA draft or the Big Ten's involvement in it, I guess? Um. I, it's it's interesting because I feel like none of the early entries from the Big Ten are guys that scream NBA solid player, <laughs> NBA star, really anything like that. And in a lot of years, you have that. Um, mm-hmm. This is one of the first times in a while where is it maybe the Big Ten is recruiting guys that are, are going to be really solid college players and not just going, doing their one year in the in college and then uh, bolting? Or is it they're just not that good? I mean, I'm not really sure, but it definitely seems surprising to me that there wasn't one guy that we both said 100% early entry con. Yeah, yeah, that is that is an interesting uh, uh, observation. Um, I definitely think that will change next year with Michigan State's guys. <laughs> but um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I personally, I, I think Diamond Stone's a big enough prospect, and and Davis to really. Uh, get on an NBA team and, and make a difference. But um, yeah, I, there certainly isn't anybody up there um, at the, you know, extremely high side of, of things, but uh, it'll be interesting to watch. Uh, the Big Ten certainly has a lot of guys in play uh, to be drafted and, and certainly the seniors, you know, with Valentine and uh, Utah and guys like that uh, sure. will be, will certainly be uh, make appearances on draft night. But with that, why don't we move into the the other topic we got into a little bit at the beginning, um, and that's the Big Ten's insane transfer uh, news over the last yeah. couple of weeks. Uh, it seemed, you know, if we had a couple, you know, the, I think last week where it would be two or three guys would transfer uh, every day. Uh, so the Big Ten, you know, almost every team uh, had somebody leave uh, so far this year. Um, I'm trying to see if. If anybody uh, doesn't come up on this list, uh, I, I think Penn State might be the only team that, that hasn't had a transfer so far this year, oddly enough. But, um, but yeah, you know, first off, uh, what, do you, what do you make of this? Um, are there any transfers that have really stood out to you? Um, certainly there's a Spike Albrecht thing on the table as well, if you want to sure. jump into that drama. 
Um, what are you thinking, uh, I guess, regarding this transfer stuff? Um, so yeah, I guess we'll I guess we'll start with Spike since you and I are both Michigan guys and both follow the team really closely. Um, so it's kind of it's weird because um, Spike has been so loyal and devoted to the program. He was one of those guys that came in as as definitely an afterthought. You know, you had the big three. Levert was a clear fourth, and Spike was kind of just the guy that maybe you'd hope by his senior year could kind of figure it out and play a little. And he shattered expectations. I I wrote a piece about uh, Spike and Karras leaving uh, on the site about a week ago. Um, But I think Michigan, with uh, Ivy Watson and Xavier Simpson coming in, I think they just decided that there wasn't any room for him and and they wanted to let him walk. Um, I'm, I'm very happy and relieved that John Beeline decided to, re- to remove the uh, transfer restrictions because, it, you know, it could have had, they could have made a space for him. They didn't. They let him walk. Um, we can talk about the whole transfer restriction policy as well. I'm curious to, uh, to hear your opinion. Um, but that's the nature of the beast is if you're going to over-recruit, you don't really know how much NBA attrition you're going to have, and you really don't know who's going to stay and who's going to leave. Um, you know, and then the other guy from Michigan too, we can just touch on quickly is Ricky Doyle, who who was the starting center. You and I probably said was going to be the centerpiece for a couple of years, and then he moved <laughs> to third on the depth chart. Martin now comes out of nowhere. Moritz Wagner finally figures it out, and Doyle's gone. Um, you know, college basketball is one of those things where, for the most part, ninety-seven, ninety-eight percent of the players are good with the potential to be really good very few stars that you know are going to put in, like the guys like Buddy Heald or Denzel, where you know every single time out that they're going to have enormous performances. And so I think what you see is guys that say, you know what, maybe where I'm at right now isn't necessarily the best place for me, but why don't I go transfer and see if maybe another school and another fit will allow me to have an opportunity to succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess to to jump on uh, the Spike Albrecht thing, you know, I, I think you explained it well uh, regarding why Michigan didn't bring his, him back. Uh, you know, he's he's one of Michigan's most well-known players over the last couple of years. Yeah. That certainly has a lot to do with his big performance in the title game uh, in 2013. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Michigan told him at the beginning of the year, hey, uh, you know, we're recruiting a, another point guard. Um, we're going to be bringing them in. We're not going to have any scholarships available for you. Uh, you know, if you want to look somewhere else, you know, feel free. But um, they, at that point, they were also anticipating he wasn't going to have to miss the whole year with injury. Uh, so he wouldn't That's have true. had a fifth year. Um, but uh, so I, I think it's one of those things where if Michigan knew he was going to have a fifth year, I think in all honesty, they might have actually planned ahead. But, um, you know, they didn't. So uh, it, I, I don't think you can hold them responsible, you know, for not yeah. anticipating him getting injured and missing a whole year. But um, with that, with that aside, uh, regarding the transfer restrictions, um, I, I've ranted about this a lot on Twitter. Uh, people are probably tired of me saying it. Um, I have a, a twofold thing. First off, uh, I, I personally believe transfers should be unrestricted. You should be able to go anywhere you yeah. want, any school, uh, anytime. But I think that has to be regulated at the NCAA level. And the reason I say that is because it is completely unfair and unrealistic for schools to have to individually handle that decision. And uh, a perfect example is, um, you know, Michigan, you know, they have two guys transferring. 
Uh, originally, they were going to restrict them from Big Ten teams, um, but John Beeline uh, announced that he was removing those those restrictions. But, you know, we'll say Iowa. Iowa has two guys transferring. We'll say, you know, uh, Fleming and uh, Hutton, they decide, eh, we're going to restrict them. You know, why should Michigan have to bear the brunt uh-huh. of potentially having guys in their own division while, where Iowa – can say, eh, we're not going to do it, and we're not going to bend to media pressure or, or anything of that case. So, right, I, I think right. it's I think it's just unfair to put it on schools and the you know individual coaches um, to let guys. Because I mean, to be completely honest, Michigan got burned on it last year and got burned bad. Uh, you know, Max Bielfeld yeah, ends up going to Indiana. Yeah, and you know, he was a big part of that game where Indiana uh, blew out Michigan in Chrysler. Um, you know, Indiana ends up winning a Big Ten title with Bufeld. I, I think they would have been a good team regardless of whether they had him. But, uh, you know, certain, they played Indiana twice last year. I mean, uh, so yeah, they had to Bielfeld, play against – Bielfeld was the sixth man of the year in the Big Ten. That's no small feat. I mean, he was really, really mm-hmm. good for them. Oh, yeah. Like, and that's the thing. You know, if if I'm a coach, you know, I, I tell the NCAA, hey, we need to change this rule. But I absolutely – put restrictions on all of my guys. And that's because there's no reason for me to impose this on myself. And, and sure. the thing that I, I, I understand, you know, people are using spike because most transfers, you know, let's be honest, nobody knows who they are. And they're, that's because they're transferring because they're not playing, you know, they're not having great uh, careers yeah. so far for the most part, because, you know, if they're the star players, they're probably not going to transfer, especially if they're at a big 10 school. So, but Spike is a guy people know because of that title game, uh, because of sort of some unusual circumstances. But, you know, I think everyone, you know, they're trying to make John Beeline, they're trying to make Michigan out to be the villain here. But it was one of the only schools that recruited Spike to begin with. Uh, you know, I, I just think it's funny how we're going back and, oh, you know, Beeline's trying to screw him and uh, really trying to hurt him, even though, uh, you know, Spike would be playing at like Appalachian State. If, if Michigan and Beeline hadn't believed in him and hadn't given him a chance. So I, I just, that, that to me is, is kind of humorous that, you know, we're making him out uh, Beeline and Michigan out to be this evil, you know, conniving villain, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. Um, so I, I guess my big point here is I think transfer restrictions should be removed, but I, I think the NCAA has to be the, the group to do it. But uh Moving on from the Spike Albrecht thing, uh, a couple of the big transfers that caught my eye. Uh, first off, you know, Ohio State, four freshmen have transferred this year. Uh, they had that great 2015 class, or at least what looked great on paper. Um, and really, you know, they've lost almost the entire class now. Um, certainly those guys didn't make the splash that fans were hoping to see, but um, I'm curious to hear hear your thoughts on it, but uh, that seems like a pretty big hit long-term. Well, it's surprising that Jaquan Lyles, first and foremost, is the only guy from that class that's still around. <laughs> um, yeah, it's weird. You know, I mean, Grandstaff transferred to Oklahoma much earlier on. I think he'll be eligible starting in December. Um, and I don't know. I liked Mickey Mitchell for them. I kind of like that he, he played that point-forward role. He could shoot it a little bit. Uh, he kind of helped run the offense. I was surprised about him. And Giddens, too, was a guy who was getting a lot of minutes. So, I mean, it's weird when four of five guys in that class transfer. I, you know, I don't want to speculate, but issues, is that a coach issue? Is that 
they pretty much said, hey, thank you guys for coming, but there's not a lot of playing time for you here next year. I say it wasn't very good. Sure, they made the NIT, but if you're an NIT team and four of your five freshmen walk, it, it's surprising. I, I, I really can't figure it out. What, uh, what do you think was the reason for all this attrition? Um, you know, I, 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 I'm one of the people, I don't believe this is some overarching, you know, uh, program issue or problem. I, I do think it, it's more individual um, with each guy. I think each guy transferred for a lot, you know, different reasons. But, um, you know, just from a team perspective, you know, those are big hits. You know, I, I think yeah. a, a lot of, there are certainly going to be Buckeye fans out there right now saying, you know, well, we weren't that good and these guys were playing. So, how good can these guys be? But, True. you know, the, these are the guys who you're building your program on. You know, they may be misses. You know, every one, you know, of those four guys, none of them were stars last year. None of them were even close to stars. But um, you saw some flashes. You saw some flashes from Mitchell. You saw some flashes from Giddens. And, and the they're freshmen, is, too. You know, you yeah, can't expect yeah. them to step mm-hmm. in and be one-and-done players. Not every freshman's going to be like that. Yeah, yeah, and and that's the thing. I, I think some Buckeye fans are kind of holding these guys to the unrealistic standard of, you know, a guy like D'Angelo Russell. You know, you can't expect right. Right. every freshman to be D'Angelo Russell. And I, I think, uh, you know, Ohio State, you know, they looked – they were bringing everything back for next year. And um, I certainly still had concerns, but, uh, you know, to lose four guys from your uh, freshman class, it, it's a big hit. Um We'll see what they do. Uh, they're looking at some transfers and stuff this summer. Uh, maybe they'll get some experience in there in, instead of the young guys. But, uh, yeah, certainly a, some uh, an eyebrow-raising uh, transfer. Um, the other one that really uh, kind of caught my eye, uh, Kevin Dorsey transferring from Minnesota. I know they sort of had the, the meltdown at the end of the year where half the team was suspended. But uh, Dorsey was a pretty big prospect. He showed some flashes. Uh, as a freshman, um, I certainly thought he was a guy that uh, I don't know if you could build your entire team around, but he could certainly be part of that process. Uh, and you know, now he's out the door. Um, what what do you what did you make of that transfer? So um, I didn't really know much about it, to be completely honest with you. <laughs> I uh, I looked. I, I I did a little bit of reading because I was. I was surprised. I mean, you and I both com- are in complete agreement that that end of, of the uh, the Minnesota season was just – it just needed to end. I mean, players were yeah. suspended left and right and this, and, oh, man, it was bad. Um, it's a big deal, though. You know, Dorsey was one of those guys that you're looking for. I mean, the team really needed a guy who you, you, could, you could see staying for a couple more years and, and try to help build the program back. And it hurts. It absolutely hurts that Minnesota can't keep a guy like Dorsey, um, you know, who who was hoping to be one of the stepping stones to get Minnesota, you know, back to the tournament. And last season was awful. You, you mm. need anyone who's bringing positivity, whether it's on the court, <laughs> off the court, whatever it might be, to the team. And, and losing Dorsey sucks. So I'm really curious to kind of see whether Minnesota tries to replace him. They need to replace him. Um, but kind of how how they react and, and what uh, what Richard Pitino ultimately does. Mm-hmm. I agree. You know, I I I've been working on a couple articles over the last week, and and one of the teams that I, I you know I say this completely honestly that I think is going to be on the rise. Uh, I put that in quotes because 
Uh, you know, clearly, Minnesota didn't have a great year, but I, I do think right. Minnesota could be a program set to trend up. But, you know, suddenly you start seeing these talented freshmen walk out the door. And so far, it's only been Dorsey. But, um, you know, we, we saw the suspensions. We saw sort of the chaos. But um, and suddenly you start second guessing that, you know, is this program really going to start trending up? And, uh, you know, there's no doubt next year is a huge year for Patino, a huge year sure. for Minnesota. Um, and losing a guy like that is a uh, is certainly a red flag. Um, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I actually have a question about Patino and, and the direction of that program. Patino before, was he at Florida Atlantic or Florida International before he took the Minnesota job? Um, I want to say international. Yes, international. Okay. Regardless, um, he, he wasn't particularly successful. He didn't get them to the tournament. They mm-hmm. didn't have a 30-win season. Do you, I, do you think Richard Pacino is the right guy in Minneapolis? Is, is he the guy that's going to actually lead Minnesota back to as good as, as they were? Because right now he hasn't done enough to prove to me that he's the right man to lead that job. Well, first off, I will ask my own question here in response. Can you name the last team that Richard Pitino's, uh FIU Panthers defeated with him as head coach? It is very, very relevant to the Big Ten. They are in the Sun Belt. They're in the Sun. Uh, Nebraska. I don't know. Nebraska. You are going to no laugh. Oh, Middle Tennessee. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. They knew the Big Fun Ten knew they had to get a guy who could beat the Blue Raiders. That was, that was his way in. Exactly. It, it's all been a plan. You know, they will not get upset in the first round. Oh, round. man. That, that makes so much <laughs> fun, sense. Fun little side note. Um, but as far as Patino goes as the head coach, uh, I remember saying this last summer, and it was kind of a mixed comment at the time, but I was kind of laughing hysterically when Minnesota extended his contract after he yeah, missed the IIT and, yeah. and the tournament. Um and I, I've actually seen some things. The University of Minnesota is actually starting some, like, process to actually, like, limit what the AD can do in these – because all these ADs just want to keep extending contracts. But, uh, you know, sometimes you, maybe you should wait and, you know, see if things are moving in the right direction first. Right. Um, and, you know, as far as next season and beyond, uh, the talent's going to improve. The roster is really going to improve. There's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, they're bringing in two solid transfers. They are bringing in their best recruit of the Patino area in Amir uh, Coffee. Uh, they ha- are going to have more talent. The roster is going to be more complete. But next year, you have to see progress, in my opinion. If yeah. you don't see progress, um, you really need to look in, in my opinion, look in another direction. You know, this is a guy, the team has consistently gotten worse. Uh, they weren't a, They weren't even a contender for the NIT last year. Um, and for considering that they made the tournament the year before Patino got there, uh, that is not a reassuring sign at all. No. Um, you've had all the off. I mean, I'm going to put it out there. If his name isn't Patino and that Patino name, as we've mm-hmm. seen what's happened at Louisville, doesn't mean all that much anymore. But if he doesn't have a Patino on, for his last name, there is no way he still has that job. I, I just, I'm going to put I, that out there. I don't, I don't think he's still employed. I, I would throw it out there. I don't think he would have got hired in the first place. I'll be completely yeah, honest. I think, well, I now, mean, now we know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his his resume is extremely unimpressive for a Big yeah. Ten head coaching job. 
you know, for a, a Mac job, a mid-major, sure, sure, go ahead. But, um, yeah, but uh, that, that was one that popped out at me. Um, not Nothing else stands out that much. We talked about the Stevens one for a second. That's not an official transfer, quote-unquote, yet. Uh, we'll see how that sorts out. But all the others are – they're just depth guys, to be honest. Uh, job I mean, the two, the two interesting – two interesting guys that I like that transferred in. Anton Gill from Louisville. He wasn't great for the uh for the Cardinals, but uh but I like him. And and the other guy was uh Terrence Samuel. Um you know, played at UConn. These are high major guys that uh I think Samuel actually played and and, and got minutes for them. Um I might have even been on that national championship team, I think three years ago when Kevin yeah, Kevin Ollie's second season um, I agree. You're not looking at guys that are going to be stars and are going to be game changers. But, you know, it, I mean, Samuel played 2014-15. Was that the year that UConn won the – UConn won last year? They won two years ago. Last year was Duke. Two years ago. Okay. Even He played nine minutes on that team. Nine minutes a game as a freshman. <laughs> um, no, it's not uh, much. I agree. It's not much. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, I – as far as incoming transfers, I, I definitely think there are some guys that can make a difference. Uh, you know, you noted Gill for Nebraska. Um, and, and a lot of these transfers, I should note, actually all the incoming transfers so far have announced, you know, months, months ago. Right. Um, yeah. So none of these are, are breaking news at all. Um, I or think surprises. Newkirk for yeah. – yeah, I think Newkirk for Indiana could step into that Yogi Ferrell role. He won't be Yogi Ferrell, but – I think he could be a solid starter. Uh, you know, I mentioned the two guys from Minnesota, um, and Gill, I think, is the the real um, intriguing one for Nebraska. But but overall, but uh, Josh, before we let you go here, uh, any final thoughts on the transfers on, uh, I guess, the title game and um, the NBA draft stuff? Um, I mean, you know, we talked about this at the very, very beginning, but yeah, what a, what a great title game to cap off the season. Um, it was a blast. Uh, we, we hope that you, that you guys enjoyed some of our work here at BT powerhouse. Uh, and I'm curious to see kind of how the NBA draft shakes out. You know, we talked about a bunch of guys whose decisions could really be the difference between a top four finish in the big 10 and maybe more of a middle of the road, big 10 team. So we'll see how that shakes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. You know, we, uh, I, and, and that's something, you know, we, I should have thrown out at the beginning, but, uh, uh, thanks again for everyone for, for a great year. Uh, it's been a ton of fun and, um, no final four teams this year, but, uh, I, I think that'll change next year for the big 10, <laughs> but, uh, hopefully but, but Josh. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Uh, but Josh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we appreciate it. And, uh, I'm sure we'll be talking uh, with you again shortly. Yeah, absolutely. Hopefully we get college basketball sooner rather than later. The big void without it. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah, it, it, it'll be a long uh, couple of months here. But uh, yeah. thanks again, Josh. All right. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> but uh, again, for everyone, that was uh, Josh Stern. He writes for our site. A um, lot, of, lot of crazy stuff going on. But um, we do have an uh, exciting development here uh, for our last couple of minutes of our podcast here. Uh, we have Kyle Kenzie on. Um, who, according to his Twitter profile, is a freelance jabroni. Um, I know he does freelance work for Today's U. Um, a lot of college basketball stuff, but um, Kyle was in Houston uh, for this year's Final Four. Uh, wanted to get a couple thoughts from him uh, on the Final Four, on 
some of the teams uh, competing in it, obviously, and, and last night's insane championship game. But, uh, Kyle, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, a pretty sleepless night uh, flying back to California after that uh, unbelievable Final Four championship. But otherwise, doing well, doing well. I'll have a chance to catch my breath here the next couple of days. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Well, uh, we shouldn't wait. Let's just jump into this thing. Uh how about that game last night? Uh. <laughs> you know, uh, I, the earliest I can remember watching the Final Four was probably about 19, I want to say 90s, the first one I remember really clearly when uh, when UNLV destroyed uh, Duke. And that seemed to be the direction that we were headed in with this Final Four where, you know, Villanova blasted Oklahoma. Uh, you know, Carolina uh, toyed with Syracuse. It was never as close as the score seemed to indicate. At least it didn't feel that way to me. Uh, but when those two teams were uh, set up after Saturday night to face in the championship game, I, I had a really good feeling that we were going to see a great game. I didn't anticipate arguably the greatest game in Final Four history, certainly the best Final Four game of, of my recollection, which goes back a pretty decent way. So, uh, you know, that was just an unbelievable game. The atmosphere in NRG Stadium was, was just phenomenal. People were throwing seat cushions on, uh, on first on Marcus Page's three-pointer, which I still can't believe went in. Uh, and then every seat cushion that hadn't been thrown at that point was thrown when Chris Jenkins hit that, hit that bucket. I honestly thought the Villanova students were going to storm the court. It was, it was amazing, just pretty much anything you'd ask for in a title game. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And uh... – uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just one of those games where you almost feel like talking about it just doesn't express how, how just awesome uh, that game was. And uh, I cannot imagine being there for that thing. <laughs> but, uh, but, but speaking of, of the game last night, um, nobody seemed to be on Villanova uh, coming into this thing. I know uh, I was in a, you know, a bracket pool with just some friends. I think there were like 60, 70 people. Not a single person picked Villanova to win in that bracket pool. And that seemed like a common thing. Uh, how surprising is it? Uh, was this run for Villanova? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, I feel like they've sort of got that rap of losing in the second round, uh, you know, based on the last couple of years, obviously one of the enduring memories of 2015 is crying piccolo girl. So you kind of have that memory of, <laughs> of Villanova being a team that bows out early, but uh, you know, kind of tracking their run and especially seeing them live for the last couple of games. I don't know that it's necessarily that surprising if you were keeping close tabs on them this year, because they played defense so aggressively and so well, and everybody seemed to buy in to their role on that team. Uh, you know, and, and I really like that four out offense that they ran, which, which interestingly enough, I was kind of surprised with the strategy that Jay Wright went with last night where they had Jenkins actually uh, backing in his, uh, his defenders occasionally instead of just facing up. But, uh, you know, the fact that they had so much diversity, anybody could kind of step up and score from one to about six on that roster. Uh, I think that's pretty uh, conducive to, to making a title run. Uh, you know, even though, historically you have to have a, an elite NBA kind of prospect on your team, which Villanova doesn't. That to me is kind of be the most surprising facet of their run. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you know, UNC obviously has a, most people view them as the more talented team, but uh, Villanova got the job done and just in spectacular fashion. Uh, but, but why don't we jump back to, uh, um, I guess before the game, uh, a little bit of the excitement, um, you talked about Piccolo Girl, but obviously the, the counter to that would be Crying Jordan. Um, Michael Jordan yeah. was in the house. Uh, did you see him? 
did you talk to him? And please tell me you got his autograph. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Saw him, yes. Photographed him, yes. Interestingly enough, he had more media and security around him than Vice President Biden did on Saturday night. So that just kind of tells you (laughs) how big his celebrity is. So I wasn't able to, to get to him, unfortunately. Uh, but I thought that was a real cool moment there. Uh, he and Craig Sager had their interview just right in front of where I was uh, stationed on the media side uh, on that South baseline. Uh, so being able to just kind of see him there and, and the excitement that he generated and, uh, you know, and, and speaking with Craig Sager is awesome. Uh, the fact that Craig was out there and working and, and he looked good too, which was, which was awesome. So, uh, uh, you know, that, it, it, I don't know if you saw the uh, Twitter feed, uh, that uh, the March Madness account had put out, but when Jenkins hit that three-pointer, Jordan's reaction was so so uh, priceless. <laughs> he just he nods his head and was just like, "Yep, nothing you can do about that." So, uh, you know, I thought that was awesome having him in the house. Yeah, yeah, certainly. You know, when you uh, it, it's so cool when when one of those types of guys show up for uh, for games, and I I can only imagine uh, Jordan. You know, considering just how much of an icon he is uh, in the sports world and uh, just society in general, but um, why don't why don't we jump back to the for Villanova here for a second? You know, we talked about uh, kind of them not being as surprising uh, to win it, um, but um, I, I don't know if you wrote this article or, or someone else. But on today's view, there was an article about potentially them repeating, um, and it got me thinking kind of about their legacy on this. You know, certainly their legacy <laughs> the last couple of years has not been a good one. Um, <laughs> But uh, that that certainly changed this year. Uh, what do you kind of make of the legacy of this team, uh, and and where do you see them going forward? Yeah, you know uh, that wasn't me that wrote that. I'm I'm not quite ready to uh, jump ahead to look at who's going to, to win the title <laughs> next year because there's so many moving parts. You know, if Arizona, for example, ends up signing uh, Josh Jackson with an already stellar recruiting <laughs> class, I feel like they could be a front runner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so there's a lot of moving parts kind of still at play there, but. Uh, you know, in Villanova's case, they do have to replace some fantastic players like uh, Ryan Archidiakono, obviously, and Daniel Ochefu. Uh, you know, those are two pretty uh, key cogs in that championship run. Uh, but you look at some of the guys that they bring back, you know, Jalen Brunson seems like the kind of guy you could develop into an NBA prospect. Uh, Josh Hart's really talented. I think was uh, their leading scorer for the uh, duration of the season. And having Chris Jenkins back, I mean, that's a solid foundation. Obviously, Phil Booth blew up last night. He's going to be a bigger part in that lineup next year. But I think overall, the thing that has Villanova kind of moving in the right direction is is Jay Wright sort of getting over that hump. You know, you you think of some uh, great coaches in college basketball history who are kind of vexed by early uh, early exits and not being able to win the big one. I think of somebody like Lute Olson, you know, in, in 97, finally getting that first national championship. He didn't get another, but Arizona was in the mix more regularly after that. Uh, you know, I think Tom Izzo in 2000, once he got his title, where we saw Michigan State was in the final four pretty regularly uh, after that. So I think being able to make that step is, is a, a huge positive for that program just going forward. And the fashion that they did so, too, was, uh, you know, Jay Wright really worked some magic. As I mentioned, no elite-level NBA prospects on that team right now. Uh, so they overachieved in terms of their talent level, you know, beating a team like Carolina that was really loaded with talent, you know, that went about one through nine deep. Uh, and I think the fact that he was able to adapt his coaching style so much too, where they kind of went from being a plodding, methodical offense to a really kind of fun, free-flowing, 
a lot of three-pointers. You know, he's really kind of embraced that analytical model on offense. And defensively, going to a, a zone this season after having uh, balked at it for so many years shows his flexibility and willingness to kind of work with his personnel. And I think that's going to help Villanova just continue to stay relevant nationally for the years to come. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And, uh, you know, Jay Wright, it's, he's just been criminally underrated the last couple of years. So it, it's kind of nice to see him get that title and, and certainly move into that next category of, of head coaches. But uh, getting back to kind of, I guess, the final four in general here, um, I, I, I was at the one, I want to say, three years ago uh, when Michigan made it in Atlanta. But um, the environment is a lot of fun. Uh, I try to explain it to people who haven't gone. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Uh, what, what did you make of the environment of this year's? Um, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on Saturday, you know, as the games kind of <laughs> uh, turn for the worse. Uh, what was the environment like uh, before, after? Um, and as well, did you see Kendrick Lamar in concert? <laughs> no, which I really wish I had. I, I love no. Kendrick, but uh, unfortunately not. No, no, which, which sucks. But, uh, you know, I have to preface this by saying this was my first Final Four, either working or as a fan. Uh, you know, I've worked mm-hmm. and attended both first rounds and regional finals. Uh, so I've you know, been a, both a fan and working mm-hmm. capacity before, but never the Final Four. So this being my first one, I, I don't really have any sort of uh, benchmark to weigh it against. It was kind of interesting mm-hmm. hearing the Final Four veteran reporters talk about how they didn't like Houston and everything. I thought it was fine. The mass transit made it easy to get around. You know, the downtown was cool. And NRG is very cavernous. I was pretty blown away by that. Like, at one point uh, on Friday, I went and checked out the All-Star game, and there were so few people in there, I could actually feel a wind on my back, uh, you know, just from the open space in that venue. It was insane. But uh, in terms of the actual atmosphere, I thought it was spectacular. You know, downtown was was, uh, humming all weekend, a lot of good energy with the fans. Uh, Saturday was the second highest uh, semifinal uh, attendance-wise uh, semifinal Saturday in Final Four history. So you had you know almost uh, 76,000 packed in there. It was loud the entire weekend. Aside from once those games got out of control, then you know the, at a certain point in that Villanova Oklahoma game, you, you definitely could have heard a pin drop. But uh, otherwise, the atmosphere was was typically pretty good. And for last night's game, the atmosphere was was unbelievable. You know, it was ear-piercingly loud. Uh, just my my own heart was thumping, and I didn't have any sort of dog in the fight. So, uh, you know, I thought it was fantastic. I, I think if you're a college basketball fan of any level, whether it's casual or a hardcore, uh, you definitely need to get to a Final Four at some point in your life. It really is a magical experience. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I tell people that all the time. You know, even if your team's not in it and it comes to your area, uh, just go. I mean, even the free concerts alone. Uh, make it make it worth checking out but um I I did have one other question as far as the environment goes um you kind of get a lot of mixed opinions on the whole football stadium element um I'm kind of mixed myself you know I I understand it's kind of an essential thing just due to the the crowd size otherwise the tickets would just be so outrageous but um but you know admittedly if you're stuck in the top the view is pretty terrible um what are your (laughs) thoughts on that um how do you think it did it affect the game? I know a lot of people talk about the shooting aspect. Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole football stadium thing? You know, I wasn't a proponent of the football stadium uh, Final Four thing, uh, just because, you know, as I mentioned, I grew up with, uh, you know, that UNLV Final Four was in Denver at the old McNichols Arena. 
Uh, you know, Charlotte Coliseum used to host the Final Four. Uh, I know Kemper Arena in Kansas City was a regular stop. Uh, and actually the very last one ever held in a basketball arena at the Meadowlands. Uh, to me, I always spent the longest time thinking that that was where you needed to play. And uh, the shooting was definitely a thing that stuck out to me beforehand, based mostly on that 2011 Final Four uh, with that, you know, abominable UConn-Butler title game. Uh, but this year, you know, after actually having been in the football stadium live, I thought that having so many fans there kind of added to it because there was so uh, it was so loud. There was so much energy in the building as a result. It felt like a real spectacle, which I I or is, you know, that's kind of how it strives to differentiate itself from the NBA, which, uh, you know, is a higher quality level of play. So you're able to, to kind of compensate for that with the fact that it is historic and it is that kind of grand, uh, grand stage. Uh, so I'm a convert on the football stadium and, and really, you know, I covered two games where the field goal percentage, you had one night going over shoot 71% for a new record. The next night they <laughs> shoot 58% affect them too much. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of mixed cause I get it, you know, uh, it, it would it would be terrible, you know. I when I was at the Final Four, I wasn't in the top, so I I can't say that experience of how terrible <laughs> that view would be. But um, but it, it's just really cool to have a crowd that big, and it, it just feels big when you're in there. Uh, just to try to explain it to people who haven't who haven't seen a basketball game, uh, in a football stadium. Um, yeah, just, and that just a, that back row seat thing, I have to uh, I have to interject there real quick. My my uncle was actually a. Uh, he used to regularly go and buy the back row for the Saturday session oh and then gosh. hound people whose teams lost to move up for the Monday game. <laughs> so he was able to parlay the, the nosebleed seats into good seats uh, most years. The uh, Hakeem Warwick block shot, no three. He had bought back row seats but ended up uh, buying scalp tickets in about the 10th row. So you can upgrade if you're willing to uh, to go that route. Oh, yeah. And, and that's one a, a little side note as well. Um, I don't know if you saw any of the stuff about how, uh, you know, for people who remember, the students are actually, like, at the end of the court. Um, so, like, behind the, the basket on each side will be, like, Villanova, and the other side will be UNC. And I, I just find it so funny because all these people will tweet out these pictures, and they'll be like, look at how terrible this view is for the students. But the little-known thing is that the tickets for students are actually, like, 20 or 30 bucks. Um, for both games, That's like if awesome. your team advances, yeah, if your team advances, you just automatically get like Monday, um, you know, obviously to try to keep people there. But I, I just find it so funny that like people are getting like 20 or $30 tickets to the final four and people are like, Oh, well, this view sucks. Like, <laughs> it's just so funny to me. But, um, but yeah, yeah, a little you know, side you note. You can compensate for that by getting creative. You know, I saw some of the Villanova students last night. Like one guy had his, uh, his girl, I'm assuming it was his girlfriend, up on his shoulders uh, so that she <laughs> could see the court. And, you know, th- it was kind of cool. That almost has like a, a rock festival kind of vibe to it when you're seeing stuff like that. And I love the student sections. I thought that really added a great element to, the, uh, to those games. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's really cool. And, uh, um, and, and I, I just find it funny because the NCAA clearly makes an effort to get the students there and to get them there at a, you know, affordable price. And it, it was just so funny to me that people were trying to create this narrative that they were like getting screwed, even though like the, the just the value is ridiculous. But um, 
one final question here. Uh, obviously, we're a Big Ten podcast, so I got to somehow tie this to the Big Ten. Um, Tom Izzo was honored. Uh, he's getting into the Hall of Fame. Um, did you see that? Did you have any thoughts on it? Um, I'm curious if you, if you saw the crowd reaction when he, when he got introduced. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, I, it, it's certainly deserved. Uh, you know, Tom Izzo is one of the uh, great ambassadors for the game. Uh, obviously, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Uh, you think of the number of times that Michigan State's made those runs to the Final Four, exceeded expectations. Uh, that great 99-2000 team is, uh, I feel like, one of the most underrated of all time, just uh, the high level they played at all season long. So, uh, you know, that was really a, a well-deserved honor. And he's part of a really fantastic class, too, when you figure that uh, they're adding Shaquille O'Neal and Allen Iverson and Cheryl Swoops. Uh, so I think he's really fitting in terms of the quality of this class. Uh, and the reception for him seemed great. You know, uh, he's a guy who – you think of various coaches in, in college basketball, the high-level guys. You know, Roy Williams has his detractors. Mike Krzyzewski has his, uh, you know uh, – it's probably about a 90-10 split in terms of detractors and supporters. Uh, but Tom Izzo is kind of in that rare category where I feel like he's almost universally loved. You know, Michigan State will always play tough games. They'll get out of East Lansing and go play tough road games. Uh, and he's just a – he just uh, – he's a good, as I said, kind of ambassador for the game. You know, he's, he's somebody who sort of embodies uh, the good of college basketball. And I feel like fans appreciate that, even if they're not Michigan State people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I – you know, I, I live in Michigan, so there's clearly a lot of Michigan. And if there's a group that would dislike Izzo, it would be Michigan fans. And uh, he's no, just see, beloved. That's a fair you know, point. Let people yeah. like him. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but I mean, yeah, even, it, it, even Michigan fans will will admit, you know, if you ask him, like, what do you think of Izzo? Though, ah, he's a great coach. You know, I don't like that he plays against us, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, at least Michigan's got beeline now, so uh, Wolverines are, are working up at least. Mm, yeah, yeah, and I, I, it's just one of those things. I, I feel like uh, he's certainly he's one of the most popular coaches, and and I think everyone has a relatively positive opinion about him. But uh, but with that, uh, Kyle, we we thank you for joining us and and providing us with some insight here on the on the Final Four. Uh, any final thoughts on on the Final Four here uh, before we let you go? Uh, yeah, you know, as I mentioned, I, I think that it's certainly something that uh, every basketball fan definitely needs to, to check out in some capacity. Uh, I know that I'm already kind of making plans for, for Phoenix or Glen- – I should say Glendale next year. The two cities are nowhere near each other. Uh, but it's, it's definitely something that every basketball fan needs to check out. It really is really is amazing. And if you can check out as much of the satellite stuff that kind of goes on around it at the same time, it's it's pretty cool, you know. Uh, taking a shuttle to the airport, sitting next to Lorenzo Romar, like I did this morning. It's uh, it, it's kind of surreal if you're a basketball junkie. <laughs> Certainly, and uh, that sounds pretty awesome. But uh, but Kyle, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it, and uh, we appreciate you coming on here. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Um, and again, a reminder to everyone uh, that was Kyle Kenzing. Um, he does a lot of a lot of great stuff. Um, he writes for Today's U, puts out a lot of uh, great material on uh, Today's U. Uh, you can check him out on Twitter, uh, Kenzing45, K-E-N-S-I-N-G-45. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, he's at the Final Four, obviously, uh, does a lot of great college basketball stuff. Uh, doesn't do as much Big Ten stuff, but if you're interested in, in what's going on elsewhere, uh, he does a lot of great stuff. But 
We appreciate Josh coming on. We appreciate Kyle coming on. Uh, as always, I'm Thomas Bendit. Uh, thanks for checking out the podcast. We have a, a lot of great NBA draft stuff and, and transfer updates uh, on the site um, if you're interested in that stuff. But um, hopefully we'll get another podcast here in the next week or so, and uh, we'll keep on rolling through this off season. So thanks again for everyone checking us out. Um, you can check me out uh, on Twitter at T Bendit. Um, and again, appreciate everyone checking us out and we'll see you next time.